0: Father, we come to you in Jesus' name and Lord, with gratitude. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that in his great love, he was willing to be reckoned our sin at the cross of Calvary. Like a seed sown, that life, uh, when Christ rose to everlasting life, It wasn't just for him, I I partook, I was able to partake of that. Uh, It was for all of us. Lord, to have everlasting life and the righteousness, your righteousness that comes through the finished work of Christ, it's beyond our ability to comprehend in terms of scope and magnitude. We're We're just glad of it. So Lord, thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for his love. Lord, thank you for salvation. And then Lord, thank you for the word of Christ. Uh, we, have a, we have a written word that we do well this morning if we take heed to it, and so Father, we don't want to play at Bible study this morning. We don't want to play at preaching. We don't want to play at seeing your word applied to our lives, and so God, we just simply ask for your help. Help us this morning. Uh, don't let us lose anything that you have for us. Help us to be willing to submit to your truth and, and apply it to our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So day six is taken a minute. We were looking at the cattle, the creatures, and the creepers in Genesis chapter one, verses 24 and, and uh, 25. And uh, Tad, if I could get the PowerPoint on the back screen, that would, that would help um, me a little bit. <laughs> So cattle, creatures, and creepers, okay? Then, um, then we started looking at, at man, the creation, the commission, and the condition of man, and so verse 26 is where we were at last week. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man, here it is now, in his own image, In the image of God created he him, male and female, created he them, and God blessed them, and God said unto them, be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Uh, So, just, uh, uh, just still reviewing, a few things to note here this morning. Man, we saw, is created on the sixth day and so with that we see that six is the number of man. Uh, We made that application in Revelation chapter 13. Um, Man is tied to the number six. Six days of labor followed by a day of rest. Man works in a set of six. So also, the work of humanity in terms of biblical history, if, you, if you're paying attention to Bible prophecy, you're not ignorant of this one thing. Uh, God works in thousand-year days, Second Peter chapter 3. And so, so there's going to be six days of human work followed by a day of rest. The Bible calls that the day of the Lord. So man is tied to the number six. And then we get to, to verses 26 and 27. So God says let us make man in our image after our likeness and then the Bible says in verse 27, so God created man in his own image and the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. Um, so if you know, gender is not much of a spectrum in verse 27 is it? How many, how many genders do you count in verse 27? Let's see. I count two. Uh, Male and female created he them. But he makes them after his image. And so what we saw is spiritually, man is created like God. He's created after Adam's likeness. So physically, he's like God. He looks like God. In other words, what we saw is Adam is a chip off the Jesus block. What does he look like? He looks like Jesus and that's how it works, man. Kids look like their dad. And uh, I don't know if that's awesome or creepy, but, but my daughter made it. Sophie made that and gave that to me. I, she didn't know how to send it, so I had her. I, I just videoed it off of her phone because I thought, you have to see that. Uh, poor Braden. Poor Sophie. Uh, somehow she pulls it off, though. I don't know. It's, a, it's a, Kids look like their father, right? Jesus. Adam looked like Jesus. Luke chapter three, verse 38, we found that uh, we're looking at the Genesis, the genealogy of Jesus. Uh, We get down to the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, and then here's this amazing statement. Adam, which was the son of God. Adam is God's son at the point of creation. He's made from dirt, but God breathes, and we'll see this when we get to chapter two, God breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. So he's made from dirt, but he's put in a place higher than Lucifer in all of his glory. What did Lucifer look like? He looked like a, what kind of face did he have? It's a cherub face. It's an ox face. Uh, We got that by comparing Scripture with Scripture in Ezekiel. Uh, he, He doesn't have the likeness and the image of God. And here is his, Lucifer gets fired. God hires his replacement, makes something from the dirt, his son, and Adam has his likeness in his image. No wonder Satan is at war with him. Okay, let's look at the commission. This is where we want to spend the bulk of our time this morning. So what was Adam's mission? Well, it's to reproduce sons of God. So get that down in your notes. Adam's mission is to reproduce sons of God. Why? Well, if you'll remember at this point, Lucifer is fallen. Uh, We will talk about this in just a second. What we're doing is is we're placing the fall of Lucifer chronologically between verse one and verse two of Genesis chapter one. Uh, We do that because then all of our cross references reconcile, it keeps us to a literal creative week, but in another very real sense it's a restorative week, which is why the word here is replenish. So we saw a, a Lucifer, there's an in the, in eternity past, there's a dispensation, there's a kingdom over which Lucifer, the anointed cherub, he's over the throne of God, he rebels, he, he, he bursts the spirit of Antichrist. He wants to stand in the place of God as God and show himself that he is God. What belongs to God alone should rightfully belong to, to me. That was Lucifer's mindset. And, and so this resulted in a war and that makes for a planet in verse two that is formless and void. When God expressly said he didn't make it that way in Isaiah 45, 18. So you can go back and listen to those messages and get those cross references. Placing the fall of Lucifer between verse one and verse two keeps us to a 6,000 years ago, that was creation week. Six days, everything set right. But I don't know how to tell you what time it was in Genesis 1 1. Uh, that represents the beginning of eternity past, if I can say it that way. Um, but in this fall, right, in this rebellion, some of the celestial host rebels with Lucifer. We don't know how many at that time, but let me give you the conclusion of the matter. Revelation chapter 12, verse 1, we see a great wonder in heaven. Here is a woman clothed with the sun. We find out she is a picture. She represents Israel as a nation. She's clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and upon her head, a crown of 12 stars that would represent the 12 patriarchs or the 12 tribes of Israel. And she being with child, there's the promised seed of Genesis 3.15. She being with child cried, travailing in birth, pain to be delivered, and there appeared another wonder in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon. Uh, this great red dragon, this is the representation, or it's the person of Lucifer or Satan, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail, watch this now, drew the third part of the stars of heaven. And we looked at Job 38, and we saw how the celestial hosts are called the sons of God, but they're also called the, the stars, right? They are the, the stars that sing for joy. Uh, the celestial host represented as stars. So Lucifer, when it's all said and done, he's got one third of the celestial host caught up in his rebellion. One third of the sons of God are lost to the Father forever. So what God is doing in making from the dirt a man in whom he puts his life in. He breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. Luke 3.38 says Adam is now God's son. What is Adam's job? Be fruitful, multiply. What's the word? Replenish the earth. He is to reproduce sons of God. That is his message. Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion. Why? Because the last guy lost his job, you've got it now. You have dominion. You be the one in charge. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Why? Okay, so let's look at Jeremiah 4. You can turn there in your Bible or we can put it on the screen. In Jeremiah chapter four, what God is doing is he's pronouncing judgment over Israel because of their refusal. They've been called out numerous times and they won't repent of the pagan idolatry. They're joining into Baal worship, Moloch worship. Uh, they're, They're doing all of the pagan rites and God's fed up and he's warning them. He's telling them what will come. In Jeremiah chapter four, he says, verse 20, destruction upon destruction is cried. Here's the decree, it's gonna be a desolation, it's gonna be destruction, for the whole land is spoiled. Suddenly are my tents spoiled and my curtains in a moment, how long shall I see the standard and hear the sound of the trumpet? For my people is foolish, they have not known me, they are sottish children, they have none understanding. And then he makes this comment, he says, they are wise to do evil. It's like they just spend all their time going to school, uh, learning how to perpetrate perpetrators be perpetrating and they just study it all the time they're wise to do evil but to do good they have no knowledge they don't even care about it they don't even want to know. So what God does he says this judgment is coming and 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 we know that it came historically in two waves uh, in the 700s BC Assyria from the north took the ten tribes, the northern tribes captive and then in the 500s BC Babylon came and took Judah, right, the tribes in the south took Judah captive. Here's his proof. Here is his exhibit A, if you will, as proof that he's willing to go there. He's willing to, he's willing to initiate and complete a total destruction of the nation of Israel. So he cites Genesis 1-2. Jeremiah 4.23, the prophet says, I beheld the earth, and lo, it was without form and void. Do you see that? There was another cataclysm, there was another destruction. I beheld the earth, and lo, it was without form and void. And the heavens, they had no light. I beheld the mountains, and lo, they trembled, and all the hills moved lightly. Okay, so in Isaiah 45.18, God says, I didn't create it formless and void, I created it to be inhabited. That's what happened, but again, if we, if, we, if we put, I can't put a date for you on Genesis 1-1, but if after Genesis 1-1 we see Lucifer's rebellion against God and we see a cataclysm that results in Genesis 1-2 and the earth was without form and void, that's the result of the judgment of God over the Luciferian kingdom, this Luciferian rebellion, uh, and now, what do we have? There's no light, darkness. Genesis 1-2 says, darkness is upon the face of the deep. I beheld the mountains, and lo, they trembled. If I would do that to Genesis 1-1, God's saying, over Satan's rebellion, don't you know I'm gonna whoop your hiney, Israel? Do you see what's happening here in Jeremiah 4? See, the, 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 the hills trembling, right, the, the earth moving. Uh, The mountains trembling, the hills moving. That didn't happen in the uh, the diaspora. When when Israel was taken captive, it didn't mess up the land. Uh, Again, Israel, the tribes in the north, Assyria was taken captive. Uh, Assyria took them captive in 722 B.C. Then in 586 B.C., Babylon took Judah in the south. The land stayed in place. The only thing trembling in those captivities was the heart's of those being judged in that captivity. Do you see that? The land doesn't move. Look at verse 25, Jeremiah 4, 25. I beheld and lo, watch this, this is amazing to me. And lo, there was no man. There was no man. And remember when we looked at the fowl, particularly the owl? You remember that? What do the fowl in your Bible picture? And we compared Scripture with Scripture and we saw the connection to spiritual Entities, these principalities and high places. Satan is called, himself is called the prince of the power of the, the air. Okay, this would be the domain of the air. Uh, all the birds of the heavens, plural, heavens were fled. Do you see that? I mean, like, we'd have to go back and reteach all this stuff again if we just, if, if we took all the time to run all the cross references, but how many heavens are there? Three. We saw that in the creation week. There are three heavens. So all the birds of the heavens, there's no man. Well, yeah, there's no man because he hasn't been created yet. That's at the end of Genesis chapter one. This is Genesis chapter one, verse two, that's being described. And the birds of heaven. Uh, the, the, The foul owl has taken a hike. He's fled. Now this didn't happen in the diaspora, that's not what happened. The poor, Jeremiah 40 and Jeremiah 52 is very clear that people were left in the land. It was the the people of note and renown and wealth and and influence that were taken primarily. The poor were left to tend the fields, Jeremiah 40, Jeremiah 52. Uh, so So when God judges this future judgment that's going to take place, its future from the point of Jeremiah 4, uh, there will be men left in the land. You see that? So he's not talking about the future judgment. He is, but he's referencing a past judgment and what that was like to prove that he means business in terms of what's coming. Is everybody with me so far? You've got the timeline, right? So there was no man. Well, yeah. Verse 26. Look at the kingdom that was destroyed in Genesis 1-2. I beheld and lo, The fruitful place was a wilderness and all the cities thereof were broken down at the presence of the Lord and by his fierce anger. For thus hath the Lord said, the whole land shall be desolate. So that's Genesis 1-2. That's the first half of 1-2. Yet, he says, will I not make a full end? Well, that's the second half of Genesis 1-2. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Verse 3, and God said, right? In other words, I'm not gonna make a full end. There will be a restoration, and sure enough, that's exactly what happened with the nation of Israel. Just like God didn't leave the earth in a cataclysmic state in Genesis 1-2, he restored it, he didn't make a full end, so also the nation of Israel, when she was taken captivity, he didn't make a full end. She was eventually restored. Do you see the pattern? Is everybody with me so far? Um, Let me just say this, if you just, let's say this is your first Sunday with us and you're like, what in the world is this crazy guy talking about? Um, We're just in chapter one, we've already had, what, 67 messages so far? No, I don't think it's that bad. Um, But there's been a lot of them, there's a lot here. And so if a few things like just kind of get past (laughs)
1: you,
0: that's okay, keep coming. Keep coming, come with an open Bible, right? Come with a pen, a pencil, take some notes and and then after every message start working those notes into the margin of your Bible, right? Review what you're learning and and pretty soon what will happen. I guarantee you, in six months from now, your Bible will start coming together for you in ways that you never even dreamt was possible. Uh, Study, the Bible says, to show yourself approved unto God. What's the next phrase? Yeah, you gotta be a workman in the word, don't you? It's work, so uh, I'm, not, I'm not treating you like you're stupid. I'm treating you like you want to learn and, and, uh, you, and you want this stuff, so, so I'm praying for you. So I will not make a full end. Just like the earth was restored, God's promise in Jeremiah four is I'll also restore Israel. But notice the magnitude of the judgment, verse 28. For this shall the earth mourn and the heavens above be black, because I have spoken it, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. I have spoken it, I have proposed it, I purposed it, rather, and will not repent, neither will I turn back from it. Again, Genesis 1-2, the earth was without form, and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. But he did not make a full end, he will restore, and that's why the Bible says, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So it's complete destruction, that's what the then coming future judgment of Israel over idolatry would look like in the promised land. Complete, utter destruction. Verse 29, the whole city shall flee for the noise of the horsemen and the bowmen. Okay, now we're back. Here's what's coming to Israel. They shall go into thickets and climb upon the rocks. Every city shall be forsaken and not a man dwell therein. Now again, men were, the cities were destroyed but men were left to dwell in the land at the time of the diaspora. Uh, But the diaspora was bad. It was comprehensive in its scope, not unlike the judgment over Lucifer's administration before man. So Lucifer, up to one-third at this point of the celestial host, is with him in his rebellion. God is now missing one-third of his family. One-third of the sons of God are in rebellion. So now Adam, as a son of God, has a job and it's making babies for God's glory. Hello somebody, can I get an amen? God made Adam and then he made Eve. And he brought her to Adam and Adam said, this is woman. And then, you know, after the marriage ceremony, he said, yeah, that's what he said. (laughs) He said, I mean, what a job, making babies for God's glory. I mean, how cool is that? God says, I want a family, that's your job. I want a family, so get this down. Adam's commission is to replenish the earth, to replace the fallen sons of God. When we get to Genesis chapter nine, you're gonna see the exact same mission given to Noah and his family uh, in Genesis chapter nine, verses one and two. The same commission was given to Adam in Genesis 15 and 17. Then it was passed on to his son in Genesis 26 and then to Jacob. It was given to Israel in Leviticus chapter 26 and verse 9. And then finally, this commission was given to the church. It was given to the disciples in Matthew chapter 28, verses 29, 19 and 20. Uh, we also will look at it in 2 Timothy 2.12. But before we do, I want you to get this down in your notes. God's mission is consistent. It never changes. What God's looking to see come out of this earth, to come out of creation, it never changes. The mission is consistent. Mankind is, in Genesis one, in verses 26 through 28, mankind is given a threefold commission by God. God's very first words to men were, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. And the dispensations that we'll see, right? The way that mission works out in the lives of men, we're gonna see the consistency in Genesis 1 through 11. The mission never changes. Now, where Adam had a physical commission, right? It's a physical, it's a physical commission. When you put physical next to commission, apparently I can't say the words together. It's a physical, it's a physical commission. Um, and, uh, and it's all about making babies, right? Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. His is physical. Today, the local church has a spiritual commission. We are also to propagate the sons of God. Propagate is your next blank. When somebody comes to Christ, when they are born again, the Bible says they're born again, they're a new creature in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. But look at how they're described in Romans 8, 14. As many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God, Last week we saw this, this is, this is gender inclusive, this phrase, sons of God, it's like mankind, or human-kind, uh, it includes both male and female, the sons of God. Philippians 2.15 tells us that we are to be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom we shine, ye shine as lights in the world. So how do we propagate sons of God? How do we be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth in this dispensation, in the age of grace? Well, it's not through our ability to make physical offspring, even though that can be part of it. Uh, We, Cheryl and I, um, we were in a hallowed home. We have a marriage together, and, and out of that union have come three children. Physically, because they're born to Christian parents, that makes them nothing spiritually, <laughs> right? It makes them lost. They're, they still have the sin nature of Adam, doesn't don't they? Um, in Adam, all die. We all have that Adamic sin nature. Uh, but we train them up in the way that they should go. We train them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. We train them up with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They heard, my kids heard the gospel of Christ from my lips countless times. So we ended up leading our children to Christ and with that we were able to in part fulfill the commission that God gave to us. We led our kids to Christ and by doing that we're fruitful, right? We were fruitful. There was an evangelistic work that took place and more sons of God were birthed into God's family. We are the Sons of God. So how do we do it? Well, let's, let's look at the same commission that was given to Adam applied to the church. Matthew 28, Jesus comes to the disciples, verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world, amen. So teach all nations, that's preaching the gospel. You see that in Mark 16, 15. Preach the gospel to every creature. We go teach all nations, what are we teaching them? The gospel of Jesus Christ. And then those that respond, we baptize, Matthew 18, 19. We baptize them. Um, So what's the objective of the church? It's the same thing that Adam and Eve had. It's to bear fruit, it's to be fruitful, to produce life. So make sure you get evangelism down in your notes. What are we doing when we evangelize? Well, we have a treasure hidden in these earthen vessels, don't we? Don't we? We have a treasure hidden in these earthen vessels. And what needs to happen is these vessels need to be broken before the Lord. They need to be broken before men. Um, I need to mortify the members of my flesh and, and, and make the decision that I just need to agree with scripture for me to live as Christ. And so what do I do? The light of the gospel, the light of Christ needs to shine out of my life. Well, what is that light? Well, God's word is a light, isn't it? It's a light, it's a lamp. It, it, it shows me, it shows mankind the way that he should go. So I preach the gospel And when people believe on the word of God, they're born again. What's happening? The seed of the word of God is being received into hearts and then spiritual life is being reproduced. That's evangelism. Be fruitful, reproduce the life, Adam, that you receive from God. Christian, reproduce the life that you receive from God. And then we need to teach them, verse 20 says, all things whatsoever the Lord has commanded. That's discipleship. And if we do that enough times, we make enough disciples that are reproducing the life of Christ and training those, those, those born again believers to do the same, now the work multiplies until it fills the whole earth. The objective is all nations in verse 19. So, how do we make disciples? Well, it's so important, we've got it on the wall. Uh, everybody turn in your wall to the, to the northeast corner of the building and, and here it is, okay? The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also, 2 Timothy 2.2. Okay, what you're seeing right there in that verse is four generations of propagation, aren't you? Here is Paul teaching Timothy, so that's generations one and two. And then Timothy teaching his disciples, that's generations two and three. And then those faithful men teach others also, three and four. Do you see that? Paul, Tim, his is, and theirs. Four generations of propagation. You know what that is? That's fruit that remains. This is what Jesus was talking about in John 15, verse 16. God's plan for your life is to bear fruit and to have fruit that remains. You don't want fruit that's stolen, fruit that's withering, fruit that's funky. Fruit, you want fruit that remains. So this is why we keep, this is why we're chirping all the time about getting on the path to growth. It's so critical that we know the word of Christ so that the life of Christ can propagate so that sons and daughters of God can be born again into the family and kingdom of God. Don't waste your life. You need to know the book and you need to know how to use it in the lives of people. So get on the path to growth because God designed you to be a part of reproducing his family, sons of God. He designed the human race so that by reproduction, human life would soon multiply by a compounding effect. It's just like how interest rates work on money. It increases or decreases your money exponentially, doesn't it? That's how compound interest works. Uh, The the classic illustration is if somebody said, I want to hire you for a month and I will pay you a penny doubled every day, would you take that job? If you understand compound Right, the, the function of compound multiplication, you would take that job in a heartbeat. You'd do the math and you'd be like, I can fast for two weeks. I can live on nothing for two weeks. But if you did that, you, had a, you, started, you got paid a penny the first day, two pennies on the second, it doubles every day for one month. On the last day of the month, you would get paid $5,368,709.12. And the month total, the entire month, you would have earned ten million dollars, ten million seven hundred and thirty seven thousand four hundred and eighteen dollars and twenty-three cents. Now that's before taxes. I don't know, I didn't check the tax rate tables. I don't know what your take-home would be. But brothers and sisters, that's a whole lot of cheddar. That is the power of compounding multiplication. God told Adam, be fruitful. You and Eve have a baby. And just keep doing that. And then those babies will have babies who will grow up and have a bunch more babies and pretty soon, here's the command, replenish the earth. I want the earth full of my family. The angelic host, the Bible tells us, is an innumerable company. It's an innumerable host. Well, if one-third are fallen, how many need to be replaced? One-third of innumerable is still innumerable. Okay, so you're gonna need a planet full of sons of God to, 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 to restock uh, the sons of God and God's family. Replenish the earth, fill the earth with life that loves God. So we're talking about world missions here in Matthew 28, aren't we? How does the church subdue the earth, have dominion? Well, we don't do it through force, we don't do it through conquest, we do it through sharing the love of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that multiplication is to continue until the entire world is full of born-again believers. And that's the difference between just going soul-winning and winning souls to make disciples. You can get professions of faith, and people say, yeah, I'm a believer, but then nothing changes in their life. We, we have to be taught. We have to be trained up in the way that we should go. So the, the mission is to make disciples. Why haven't we won the whole world to Christ? Do you know why the compound investment effect on our command to make disciples doesn't fill the world? Why it's not replenishing the world with disciples? Uh, You'll go to discipleship conferences or missions conferences and you'll hear people talk about discipleship math or this compounding math. And if we just get serious about discipleship, and the way it works is like this. You know, if I, get, if I get serious about discipleship, the world has one disciple, one disciple maker. But then I lead Mr. Allen to Christ. And he's a believer in Jesus Christ. And I disciple him. Next year, we'll have two disciples, two disciple makers. And then in that year, me and Mr. Allen, we, we each lead someone else to Christ. And we disciple them. And, and now how many does the world have in year three? Well, there's already four disciples, and then in year four, there's eight disciples, and then there's 16, and then there's 32, and then there's 64, and then there's 128, and then there's 256, and then there's 512, and then there's 1024, and so it just keeps going. And the, the way the math works out, based on our current population, is we get the entire planet in 34 years. If we would just get serious about making disciples, we'll win the entire planet in 24 years. That will never happen. And do you know why? Well, turn back in your building to the, to the northeast corner. <laughs> here it is. Paul Paul's all about disciple making and, and Tim's all about disciple making. That's why he's being trained in it here in 2 Timothy 2. The things that thou hast heard of me, among many witnesses, the same commit thou to who? Faithful men, faithful men, and what's a faithful man? Well, they're teaching others also. That's what, that's what the faithful do. They take what was given to them, what was what they were tasked with, and they perform it. Here's the problem: there aren't very, there's just not very many faithful men. There's just not. Proverbs 20 verse 6 says, "Most men will proclaim every one his own goodness." I've decided to follow Jesus, I'm really serious about discipleship. No, you're not. You never counted the cost. You never decided, you never came to the place where you said, my life will fall out to God's mission and nothing will stop me, so help me God by His grace. Everybody's proclaiming their love for the Lord, but nobody's following them. Everybody's proclaiming their consecration. They proclaim their own goodness, but a faithful man who can find Who can find? Ecclesiastes indicates it's one in a thousand. One in a thousand. A faithful man, who can find? And you know, I think that's probably how it works. Uh, We, I I, I would wager, you know, I've never really done a serious study on this, but just kind of looking at how it works, for every hundred people that visit MBT, we'll get 10 that will keep coming. They'll decide they want to be a part And of the 10 who decide that they want to be a part, um, one, one really makes it and, and follows as a disciple. And then, you know, it's one out of 10 of those that are actually fruitful and have fruit that remains. It's just interesting to me. A faithful man who can find, there's just too few faithful. Because people don't count the costs. They want to have a form of biblical Christianity, but they don't want to bear the cost personally of living biblically. They don't want to actually count the they don't actually want to bear the cost of being a disciple of Christ. We got too many people who are just posing. We have the form of a disciple, but there's no reality. Last thing, look at Genesis chapter one. Let's see the condition that Adam finds himself in. So remember now Adam has a job, he's got a mission. He is now the chief steward of this dispensation. As we look at the different dispensations of the Bible this would be called the Adamic or the Adamic dispensation named after Adam or the age of innocence because man has not yet fallen. And innocence would describe man's condition and the way that God dealt with man before the fall in Genesis chapter three. We'll see a break in Genesis 3, and we'll see a new dispensation at that point. But right now, Adam is in charge of everything. He's managing everything at the word of the Lord. God tells him and his wife, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat. Anybody ever eat a papaya? Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. To you it shall be for meat, and to every beast of the field, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth. You don't have to worry about a lion sneaking up on you. The lion's looking for papaya too. So you're, you're all set. Um, the the, the uh, jaguar wants mango and, you know, so. So God saw everything that he made and behold it was very good and the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So just look at, look at verses 29 and 30. Look at what God has provided for Adam. What does God give his man, his servant, in order that Adam might accomplish the mission? What does he give? Behold, I have given you which herb? Every herb. And which tree? Every tree, right? Everything is on the menu. So what does God give in terms of supply to fuel Adam and his mission? What does he give him, let the whole church say? It's everything, everything. So how does that apply to you and I today in, at 40th and Walnut, little church in the hood? What has God given us? If Adam's got a physical commission, physical commission, <laughs> I can't say those two words next to each other. If Adam has a physical commi- <laughs> If Adam has a physical... C- Let's get physical, physical. <laughs> Let me hear your body talk. Okay, if Adam has a physical... Co- if Adam has a physical... Com- I'm just gonna keep going until I can do it. If Adam has a physical commission... Yeah. yes. If Adam has a physical commission and we have a spiritual commission, pray for me somebody, and we have a spiritual commission, there we go, um, if you're new, I stutter and stammer a lot. Praise the Lord. What has God given to us in order to fuel, to supply our spiritual work? What has He given us? What do you think the answer to that is? It's everything. Ephesians 1:3 says blessed be God, right? The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with what? Everything. All spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Romans 8:31, what shall we say? What shall we then say to these things if God be for us, who could be against us? I mean, we've got God, so we're set. Tell Chet to take a hike. He doesn't even know what it means to be set. We have the Lord himself. Philippians 4.19 then, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And, and, and what, what is the net worth of the riches and glory? I mean, it's infinite value, isn't it? Matthew six thirty three tells us to seek God first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Why? Because he's your supply. He's got everything in the bank for you that you need. Just seek him first, his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Man, that gets me excited. Everything that God calls us to in ministry, everything that we need, God's already got it covered. I don't have to worry about that. This is why we don't try to be stingy with everyone and everything. Uh, We want to be generous with God's people as we have capacity knowing that God is generous with us. We have everything that we need. Christ is our supply. I have everything I need in ministry, so do you, because Jesus is in your life. He is your life. Christ is our life. He's our all in all. He is our supply. So we just need to get to work knowing we're covered. We have everything we need. Second Corinthians 9.8, the Bible says, God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. This is why chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians says, thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You've got Christ in your life. You have everything. You're set. Haven't I given you all spiritual blessings in heavenly places? Isn't that what the Lord's saying? I'm, aren't I your all in all? See, a lot of people say, you know, I would share my faith if I, you know, if I just had that skill set. No, you've got Jesus. Man, when Christ is your life, it comes out. You have everything. Stop wasting it. Well, I get serious about discipleship, if I, you know, if I just, man, if I had the job that I needed at work, um, you know, then I could maybe, you know, then I could, I could quit worrying about so many other things and, and uh, I, could, I, could, I could free up some time in my life and uh, I wouldn't have to work as much overtime, that kind of thing. Uh, you have time for the things that are important to you. Be abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Because Christ is your life. You have everything. What God has entrusted to you, steward, everybody, this is what's always funny to me, is everybody reads the story of Genesis, and there's a part, um, there, there's a part of us, I think it's somewhere in our heart, where we're just so frustrated. Adam and Eve had it so good, they had everything except a sin nature. Like, you should have made it, bro. <laughs> like, what did you do? And then, and then, look, you gave birth to a murderer, and it's just been horrible ever since. I mean, why couldn't you have kept your eye on the ball? So Adam lost the image of Christ in his rebellion against the word of God that day. You are having the, I mean, literally, you're, you're born again, you're called the son of God. You're being conformed to his image. That lost image is being restored in you, God's given you all spiritual blessings. He is your supply, he is your all in all. What are you doing with it? I wanna to submit to you, most Christians in this CN age are doing exactly the same thing that Adam did. They're wasting what they have with the Lord. And they're just living for themselves. Going away that's right in their own eyes. You're no different. You're no different. Here's Adam with the image of God blowing it. Here's you with the image of God blowing it. Because your priorities, what matters to you, don't match what you're seeing in the word of God. And you're going away now that's right in your own eyes. Can we bow our heads? Can we humble ourselves right now? Can we ask the Lord to help us before we dismiss?